Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market today. And now for some news. July's cumulative update for Windows 10 disabled VB script from executing within Internet Explorer 11. On Patch Tuesday, August 13th, an update will disable VB script in IE11 on Windows 7, Windows 8, and Windows 8.1. Neowin.net reports that there will still be settings to enable VB script if you need it via the registry, group policy, and restricted sites. After the updates, VBScript will be disabled by default for internet and untrusted zones. It's a bit of a tricky one. Even organizations that have a pretty good hold on their application inventory tend to be more lax when it comes to recording their web apps and what each of those requires. So unfortunately, this may result in breaking some sites and then realizing that those particular sites do require the VB script. So it could be a little bit of a tricky patch windows, at least on the desktop side for this month. The register has reported on significant changes to Microsoft's licensing that may affect anyone running Microsoft products on non-Microsoft cloud platforms. So be that Google Cloud Platform, AWS, or whatever. In the article, they report that Microsoft states that the emergence of dedicated hosted cloud services has blurred the line between traditional outsourcing and cloud services and has led to the use of on-premises licenses on cloud services. Dedicated hosted cloud services by major public cloud providers typically offer global elastic scale, on-demand provisioning, and a pay-as-you-go model similar to multi-tenant cloud services. As a result, we're, being Microsoft, updating the outsourcing terms for Microsoft's on-premises licenses to clarify the distinction between on-premises, traditional outsourcing, and cloud services and create more consistent licensing terms across multi-tenant and dedicated hosted cloud services. So beginning October 1st, 2019, on-premises licenses purchased without software assurance and mobility rights cannot be deployed with dedicated hosted cloud services offered by the following public cloud providers. Microsoft, Alibaba, Amazon, including VMware Cloud on AWS, and Google. This could make it more difficult to bring your own licenses to run on another cloud platform, obviously, and in some cases just impossible. You'll have noticed that in that statement, they even suggest that Microsoft's own cloud is subject to these changes. However, some products will be permitted to run using your licenses through an Azure hybrid benefit. So you could interpret this as Microsoft really stacking the deck in their own favor since they own the licensing of so many products that the majority of large enterprise organizations require. Some examples the register provides includes 
Windows Enterprise will no longer be permitted other than with Windows Virtual Desktop Access E3 or E5. As a concession, affected customers will have until October 1st, 2020 to move their existing Windows Enterprise workloads off of the cloud platforms I listed earlier. Office Professional Plus will not be permitted with or without software assurance. So that's just a hard no. Exchange and SharePoint will require software assurance with licensed mobility. So if you're not in that category right now, and you're running those say on AWS, you'll want to at least become a software assurance customer with licensed mobility. Windows Server is not permitted with or without software assurance. You can still license Windows Server from the cloud provider via SPLA, but you cannot bring your own license. SQL Server will require software assurance with licensed mobility or an Azure via Azure Hybrid Benefit or subscription via SPLA. So there's a couple of examples right there where that Azure Hybrid Benefit comes into play. And also there's an unlimited virtualization for SQL Server via Enterprise per core licensing and Windows Server via Windows Server Data Center will no longer be available other than, you guessed it, via Azure Hybrid Benefit. And obviously, SQL is a pretty major workload that a lot of organizations will want to run the cloud. Windows Server, another one, of course, that falls into the same category. Could this be more of a return to the Microsoft of old or maybe the Microsoft who never really changed in the first place? They eased up on the partner licensing after some complaints, so who knows, maybe they'll be open to changing their stance on this too if there's enough pushback. Liquidware have released version 6.1.3 of Stratosphere UX, which includes enhancements to dashboards, greater advanced mode inspector visibility, more granular control through enhancements made to the process optimization feature, as well as additional client and cloud support. Alexander Ervik Johnson has a great write-up about the new release. If you're not familiar with Stratosphere UX and you're interested in seeing what they have to offer that's maybe different to others in the monitoring and analytics space, I posted a blog post that touches on some of that. And I've also got blog posts about various other monitoring and analytics products on the market. You could read all of them and see what I felt about each. And it gives you an idea of how each one is different to the other. ZDNet have reported that although there are 188,620 extensions available in Google Chrome, only 50% of those have fewer than 16 installs total. Further to that, 19,379 extensions, or just over 10%, have zero installs. And 25,540 extensions, which is 13% of the total, have just one install which I find kind of funny because I guess even the developer couldn't get their friends to use it. Only 13 Chrome extensions have over 10 million installs. Extension Monitor who carried out this study have listed the extensions as Google Translate, Adobe Acrobat, Tamper Monkey, Avast Online Security, Adblock Plus, Adblock, Ublock Origin, Pinterest Save Button, Cisco WebEx, Grammarly for Chrome, Skype, a vast safe price and honey. 
So there's a bit of a trend on those ones that have over 10 million installs. Ad blockers and security products, as well as things like Skype and Cisco. Jamf announced a very interesting acquisition. They have acquired Digita Security, who are the creators of endpoint protection solutions for Macs. It seems with this acquisition, Jamf will attempt to further cement their place as the number one must-have solution for enterprise Apple customers. SFGate.com have reported that Cisco has agreed to pay $8.6 million to settle a claim that they sold video surveillance software they knew was vulnerable to hospitals, airports, schools, state governments, and federal agencies, to name just a few types of customers. The report states a whistleblower working for a Cisco partner at the time alerted them about the issue in 2008, but it wasn't fixed for about four more years. Hackers could use the flaw not just to spy on video footage, but to turn surveillance cameras on and off, delete footage, and even potentially compromise other connected physical security systems such as alarms or clocks, all without being detected. The whistleblower in this case will receive 20% of the settlement that the plaintiffs are due. Cloud Jumper Cloud Workspace Management Suite version 5.3 has now been released. The version brings support for Windows Virtual Desktop, Azure Government. It has a pretty nifty cost estimator for Azure, a self-service password reset option, the ability to wake on-demand workload scheduling and scaling, plus much more. I talked a little bit about this release when they had some preview notes a few episodes ago, so I'll keep it short on this episode, but that is now generally available. FileZilla is the latest open source software to credit the EU bug bounty program for uncovering a recent bug. A bug fixed in the latest release was listed as file names containing double quotation marks were not escaped correctly when selected for opening or editing. Depending on the associated program, parts of the file name could be interpreted as commands. It was quite short on that, but it's cool to see that the EU bug bounty program is working. Sophos posted a pretty lengthy blog post about this that also touches on the benefits of this bug bounty program and the types of shallow bugs like this one that have gone overlooked for years through human error and the lack of a second or third set of eyes doing the testing and research that is now there thanks to the program. Microsoft has acquired Blue Talon. The press release states that Blue Talon works with leading Fortune 100 companies to eliminate data security blind spots and gain visibility and control of data. Blue Talon provides a customer-proven data-centric solution for data access management and auditing across diverse systems, resident and modern data estates. So just speculating, but I'm assuming this is going to be used to sure up some of Microsoft's security products, like Defender and ATP, and the way they've been building out the analytics to improve things like Defender. So this kind of data and this kind of product aligns perfectly with that. Last week, I covered the Capital One breach, which was said to be the biggest breach of a big bank ever. Now, law firm Tycho and Zaveri has filed a class action lawsuit that levies charges against GitHub. 
This is because the AWS employee responsible for the theft posted the code on GitHub after the breach. GitHub had an obligation under California law to keep off or to remove from its site social security numbers and other personal information, the suit says. It also says that GitHub violated the Federal Wiretap Act, which permits civil recovery for those whose wire, oral, or electronic communication has been intercepted, disclosed, or intentionally used in violation of the Wiretap Act. Personally, I don't know if there's any real case against GitHub here. Content can be reported, reviewed, and taken down. Some other sites in the past that have been peer-to-peer hosted sites or collaboration type of tools like this have fought these kinds of allegations in the past and won. I guess we'll have to see how this complies with the laws specified in the suit. I'm obviously not a legal expert here. TechCrunch.com reported that Honda had an exposed passwordless database that contained 134 million rows of employee systems data. The data included which operating system user was running, the unique network identifiers and IP addresses, the status of the endpoint protection, and which patches were installed. Within hours of the researcher contacting Honda, the database server was powered down. There were actually logs from the CEO's own computer stored in the database. A spokesperson for Honda stated, quote, We will take appropriate actions in accordance with relevant laws and regulations and will continue to work on proactive security measures to prevent similar incidents in the future. In fairness to Honda, they took decisive action very quickly and they're stating that they're going to try and learn from this and prevent similar incidents in the future, which is pretty much all you can ask at this point. Sophos have reported that a MongoDB database containing 2.1 million records belonging to a well-known Mexican publisher and bookseller, Liberia Pora, fell victim to ransomware. It's not certain how many individual customers were affected, but purchase information included details of 1.2 million names, email addresses, shipping addresses, and phone numbers, plus site information such as invoices and purchases, shopping card IDs, activation codes and tokens, and hashed card details. There were also 958,000 personal records revealing most of the above that I mentioned, plus dates of birth. This is not the first victim of a MongoDB-based ransomware attack and probably won't be the last. If you're a MongoDB user, make sure your data is backed up and that your database is patched and up to date. On the topic of ransomware attacks, there is now a public Google Maps map that shows ransomware attacks against medical, educational, and governmental organizations across the United States. It's pretty cool. You can click into each and it'll have a reference link detailing what happened in that incident. WindowsCentral.com have reported a bug called SwapGS Attack that leaves some older Intel chips vulnerable. Luckily, this has been patched with the July Windows updates. Troy Hunt has reported that the Irish government is now availing of monitoring services for all gov.ie domains through the Have I Been Pwned database. Ireland joins Australia, Austria, Spain, and the UK for countries whose governments use this monitoring, which is pretty cool. 
Wired.com have reported on Intel's announcements around Ice Lake, which is codenamed for the 10th generation Intel chips. Intel says the chip has been designed with artificial intelligence in mind. There are new dedicated instruction sets for support of neural networks on the CPU and a dedicated engine for background workloads. There are also enhancements in the chip's graphics capability. It's said that the new graphic architecture offers double the performance of the previous chip and shows the biggest leap in graphics performance since the Skylake microarchitecture launched back in 2015. It will play 1080p games and editing 4K video should be faster, as should rendering content. The new chips will also support Wi-Fi 6, and it will let PC makers build machines with up to four Thunderbolt 3 ports. There will be 11 variants of the chips, ranging from low-end Core i3s to quad-core i7s. Intel hasn't given exact dates for when these will be available, but you can expect to see them in laptops around the holidays, I'm sure. I've reported on Wi-Fi 6 on a few different episodes now. CNET have published some metrics from the results of Wi-Fi 6 testing, but they have also reported that their testing was based off top speed achieved and couldn't really test properly since Wi-Fi 6 enabled devices weren't available for testing. But I noticed a pretty fun fact in the article that I wanted to share. They were able to download all 22 Marvel films in glorious 4K in about 3 hours and 45 minutes. That's one and a half terabytes in less than 4 hours. Pretty sweet. On the topic of wireless, Dragonblood researchers have found two new weaknesses in the WPA3 protocol that could be exploited to hack protected Wi-Fi passwords. The vulnerabilities for these are CVE-2019-13377 and CVE-2019-13456. Both of those detail the side channel leaks in these instances. Although the issues have been addressed with an update, the mitigations will not be compatible with the initial version of WPA3, only the later versions. It is reported by securityfairs.co that while there are mitigations, these do not completely secure the protocol. A quick note to NVIDIA customers. NVIDIA have patched five bugs in their Windows GPU display driver, three of which could be used by an attacker to execute code on a remote system. Sophos suggests that customers should install the GPU driver patches through NVIDIA's driver download site. The company also noted that your computer hardware vendor may offer you Windows driver version 431.23, 425.85, or 412.39, which also contains the appropriate patch updates. For Shield users, you can install patches by going to Settings, About, System Update. Freak Bearson has shared a quick how-to on using a FIDO2 security key with Windows Virtual Desktops. If you're interested, check out the link to this in the description of this podcast on your podcast platform of choice, be that Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or whatever. Or you can go to 5bytespodcast.com under episode 84, click on the reference links. Microsoft's OneDrive Personal Vaults that I reported on on a previous episode of the podcast has started to roll out this week. 
With this feature, OneDrive syncs your personal vault files to a BitLocker encrypted area of your local hard drive. Personal Vault automatically relocks on your PC device or online after 20 minutes or 3 minutes on a mobile of inactivity. Once locked, you need reauthentication to access the files, so it's a great way of keeping your personal file secure. There was pretty big news a couple weeks ago that Gabe Knuth has joined VMware. And we got even more good news this week. If you like this podcast and you're interested in end-user computing, you'll definitely want to check out the latest EUC podcast to hit the web. Brian Madden and Gabe have teamed up again, and this time in podcast form. You can check that out by going to techzone.vmware.com. If you're interested in Citrix workspaces and Citrix Cloud, but your employer does not own licenses and may not in the immediate future, but you don't want to be left behind and you want to skill up and just learn it yourself without breaking the bank and putting yourself into the poorhouse. Well, now you have a chance to sign up to a shared community plan, which basically spreads the cost across those who sign up, making it affordable. If this is something that interests you, you'll want to get signed up as soon as possible. And like with everything else, I'll share a link for that with this episode again, which is episode 84 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And now the weekly webinar. Software 2 shared a recent webinar they hosted in conjunction with Sheridan College in Ontario. The webinar covers how they use Apps Anywhere to deliver 100% of their applications to their 20,000 students. I wanted to talk about this one this week, even though it's already happened and it's a recorded webinar, because I've talked about Apps Anywhere at a few different conferences and even on the MVP Days online webinar. It's one of the most exciting products I have had the pleasure of using in quite some time. It's true contextual app delivery, unlike some others out there, some products that claim contextual app delivery, but really only mean it from a security perimeter standpoint. Apps Anywhere is contextual application delivery, delivering the application the best way possible based on how your user is accessing the app. Definitely check it out if you're passionate or interested in the application delivery side of this crazy IT world we live in. And now some scripts, tricks, and tips. I'm covering a few again this week. First up, Andrew Jimenez has shared a really cool automated packaging tool for SCCM on GitHub. Andrew has 43 application recipes already set and ready to use out of the box. These recipes include for apps like Microsoft Teams, Firefox, Google Chrome, 7-Zip, Adobe Reader, and many more. Now, out of those applications I listed, a lot of those are very frequently updated, like Microsoft Teams and Google Chrome, for example, seem to get updated every few weeks. It could be quite hard to manually package those for every release and then deploy them. So this script helps you automate that. And it's all done through very simple PowerShell scripts and scheduled tasks. So the article will go through exactly how to set it up and get you running with it. It's pretty cool. 
Adam the Automator has a really extensive blog post on the send mail message commandlet in PowerShell. I'll be honest, I use this commandlet in quite a few scripts, but I've never really dived into all of the options available. Usually I just set a subject, the to field, and the content of the email obviously, and just have it send. This goes into details like how you can use CC, BCC, setting things like email priority and more. So check that out. David O'Brien shared a post on how to join an Azure VM to Azure Active Directory domain services. If you're new to Azure, this is going to be something you're going to want to learn. So definitely check it out. And even if you're not new to Azure and you've done this before, it's still worth checking out because David shares some of his own PowerShell commandlets and code snippets that might help improve your process. Loan Popovicki has shared a PowerShell script for clearing the SCCM cache. And I'm sorry if I butchered your name. So I currently use a script similar to this in ControlUp that clears any SCCM cache that's older than seven days. And it's automatically triggered when a machine has, has four gigs or less of free disk space. This script, however, is a lot more sophisticated and can allow you more granular control over what type of cache is specifically removed, such as application cache, updates cache, packages cache, and so on. And there's a lot of different capabilities within the script, so it's very cool. Finally, before I wrap up, uh, it's been a very sad, challenging week for my family in Ireland. My uncle John passed away after a very difficult 19 months suffering with motor neuron disease. Just a couple of months ago on the podcast, I shared a link for donations to the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association. At the time, John's brother and my own brother as well, as well as others in the family, cycled from the most southerly point of Ireland to the most northerly point. It was quite an undertaking. It was done in a relay fashion and they completed it within less than a day, I believe. You know, at this time, I'd just like to thank everybody who donated when I shared the link. Over 100,000 euros was raised, and that's enough to buy 10 eye gaze devices for others suffering from this terrible disease. The eye gaze device allows those who have lost the ability to speak through the disease to communicate through a computer by using their eyes. It really is remarkable futuristic software that does change a lot of people's quality of life. And unfortunately, at the moment, these devices are quite expensive, so the donations will help provide these for those who need them. My Uncle John lived a very selfless life. He was beloved in his community in Clare Morris, County Mayo, as well as in Grange, County Cork, where he grew up. He's a beautiful soul who will be sadly missed by his family, his friends, and I'm sure everyone in his community. Thanks everybody for listening.